welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 87, part one of the talk given by Father Timothy Radcliffe. The talk is entitled, Hope, Living in the Moment. the first challenge. Yes, I, I should start by, by apologising if this lecture is a bit more boring than usual because I, I feel a little poorly, uh, some sort of bug. In fact, at two o'clock this morning I turned on my computer and googled swine flu symptoms. <laughs> I haven't got it. You're all right. Anyway, so you'll understand if I'm a bit more sort of boring and wooden. I'm very honoured to be asked to come along and talk today in this series, Silence in the City. I'm afraid silence doesn't tend to be the speciality of Dominicans. And so I get to talk rather a lot. But I console myself, you know, as I do with almost every lecture, by remembering one of my brethren who gave a lecture in Chicago. And when he sat down at the end, the applause was pretty tepid. And he turned and he said to the person beside him, he said, it wasn't that bad, was it? And the man said, oh, I don't blame you. I just blame the person who asked you to come and speak in the first place. (laughs) So Jill. I would like to talk about how the contemplative rhythm of every day sustains people in hope. Because it is a moment when I think uh, we need hope, especially the young. The whole financial meltdown, and we don't know where that's going to lead. The prospect of ecological catastrophe which means that people who are teenagers now will be living probably in a very different world when they're my age. The growth of interreligious violence, fundamentalist violence all over the world, all this makes the future look rather grim. And I think the most important role of Christianity today is to give hope, to witness to our hope. So I think if we can hope, then we can dare to face the future with courage and not just hide under the bedclothes. Now I've argued in last couple of books that the foundation of our hope is the Last Supper. I don't want to repeat what I said there because if you've read the books, then there's no point. But very, very briefly, it was during a a trip to Rwanda that my eyes were opened to how the Eucharist was this extraordinary sacrament of hope. I was there in January 93. It was just the beginning of the troubles. We decided to go to the north of the country to visit our sisters. 
Just before we went, the Belgian ambassador came. He said, don't go. The whole country is on flame. But we were young and foolish. And we drove up. And periodically, we were removed from the car by masked bands, people with guns and machetes. And I never thought we'd live to the end of the day. But worst of all was going to this hospital in the north, filled with kids who'd lost their limbs, their eyes, their arms, because of landmines. I remember one particular little kid who'd lost both his legs and an arm and an eye, and his father beside him weeping. And then when I got to the sisters, their convent was marked with bullets from the fighting of the previous day. And I thought I was supposed to say something, but I couldn't think of, of anything I could say. And then I remembered that we'd been given something to do, and we'd been given words to say by Jesus from the night before he died. Uh, a night when there was no apparent future, when the disciples had run away, Peter was about to deny him, and everything was grim. In that moment, he performed this great sign of hope and generosity when he took the bread and he said, this is my body, and I give it to you. And that's the paradox of Christianity. However dark or gloomy it is, we have a sacrament of hope. It always takes us back to what seemed to be the darkest moment. We have a sacrament of community, but that always takes us back to the moment the community was disintegrating. So the great foundation of our hope is the Last Supper, remembered in every Eucharist. So that's what I wrote about in, in those two books. If you haven't got them, do buy them. <laughs> Don't have to read them. Just buy lots of copies. We need the royalties. So I thought for tonight I'd try and take a, a different approach to hope. And if we look at John's Gospel, there is no account of the Last Supper. There is no gift of Jesus' body and blood. There's a quite different expression of Jesus' hope in the face of the night. And it takes this extraordinary form that Jesus lives this moment quietly of friendship with his disciples. Hope in John's Gospel is expressed by not running away, not getting into a flap, just living the moment. No other moment exists. The past is over. The future hasn't come yet. Meister Eckhart, 14th century Dominican mystic, said, there is but one now. So to live hopefully, I think in John's Gospel, is to dare to live in this moment. Because this is the moment that's the fruit of the past and it's where the future begins. I might prefer to be elsewhere. I might prefer to be on a beach in the Caribbean with a lovely glass of rum instead of sitting and listening to this dreary lecture. 
But this is where I am. And this is the moment that I must live. Thomas Philippe is a French Dominican co-founder of L'Arche. He said the spiritual person is plunged more and more into the darkness of the present moment. God keeps such a person in the present moment, its poverty and nakedness, for it's only there that he or she can be brought into the present of God and commune with eternity. Boris Pasternak said in Dr. Zhivago, man is born to live, not to prepare for life. Hope isn't about pie in the sky when you die. Hope is tasting this moment. Otherwise, we'll find that we've died before we got around to living. We don't believe in an afterlife. We believe in an eternal life. And eternal life begins now, whenever you manage to to love and forgive and turn yourself to your neighbour. Now I have to confess that I'm very bad at doing this. Every morning when I go down for my meditation before Lord's, most of the time I'm wondering how many more minutes is it until Lord's begins. (laughs) And then when we get to Lord's, I begin to think, is there any good excuse why I might have a cooked breakfast today? (laughs) But when we get to the cooked breakfast, I don't even really enjoy it. Because already I'm thinking about the people I'm going to have to see in the morning. And what on earth I can possibly say to them. But when they come to see me, I'm not really paying much attention to them. Because I'm already thinking of lunch. (laughs) I think you get the picture. But Jesus was a man who lived in this moment. Almost the most common word in Mark's Gospel is immediately. Or in Luke's Gospel, when he sees little Zacchaeus up the tree, he says, come down, today I will eat with you. Today salvation has come to this household. Or that great antiphon we have always after Easter, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And above all in the Beatitudes, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious saying, what should we eat or what should we drink? For the Gentiles seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. A student had a notice over her desk which said, Lord, I'd take care of today and you take care of tomorrow. And by the time I get to tomorrow, you will have already taken care of my today. Or as in the Peanuts cartoon, don't worry about today, it's already tomorrow in Australia. (laughs) Now you may think this is all gross irresponsibility, it's all right for mendicant friars and religious They can afford not to live in the real world. But people who have responsibilities, they've got to think about tomorrow. And that's, of course, absolutely right. And when I began to prepare these reflections, it was some time ago. Because I knew that when I got back from Africa and Asia, my recent trips, it would be so intense I would have no time. 
But if what you must do at this moment is to think about the future, then that's what you must do. That's the task of that moment that you must live. And you don't try and think about lunch at the same time. Now, hope is a peculiarly Christian conception. It's a Christian way of living in time. And it's interesting to discover that for Buddhists too, the heart of spirituality is to live in the present moment. The Vietnamese Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh calls it mindfulness. Over the gate of his monastery in Deer Park is written, the kingdom of God is now or never. And he wrote, life is only available in the present moment. If you are distracted, if your mind is not there with your body, then you miss your appointment with life. Mindfulness is to be there, alive, in the present moment. It is the capacity to live deeply every moment of your daily life. When St. John Fisher was woken up on the morning that he was to be executed, to be hanged and drawn and quartered, they told him that in fact the execution had been delayed for a couple of hours. So he said, oh, let me go back and get some more sleep. <laughs> That's living in the present moment. Or Martin Luther, Martin Luther, from the opposite side of the theological divide, he said if he knew the world was to finish tomorrow, he would still plant a tree today. Mindfulness is so easy to talk about. It's so difficult to live. Our monkey minds, in the Buddhist phrase, crawl up and down the branches of the past and the future. So how can we do it? I think the first thing is to learn to be with whoever is there. So often, you know, in parties, you're talking to somebody and they're looking over your shoulder to see if there's anybody more interesting they can. <laughs> One of the beautiful roles of the master of the Dominican order is you have to visit and spend half an hour with every brother in the order. Lovely, except for that there are several thousand of them. And often at the end of the day, you begin just to long for it all to be over. I remember in Mexico, before the swine flu, <laughs> at the end of a long day, uh, I was talking to a Mexican brother, a friend of mine, and he said, Timothy, that is the third time you've looked at your watch. <laughs> I never made that mistake again. I always put the clock immediately behind the chair. <laughs> we had a wonderful man who was provincial in the 1930s called B. Jarrett. He was a famous writer, preacher. But every time you went into B's office, I'm told, it was before I was born, every time he went in, he appeared to be doing nothing except for waiting for you to come. And we never could work out how. 
My theory is that he opened the drawer where he wrote everything in his notebooks. So the moment that he came in, he closed the door, the drawer. So he was doing nothing except for just waiting for you. I've mastered the exact opposite skill, which is that if I, even if I'm just playing free cell, the moment anybody works in, there on the screen, you will see next Sunday's sermon I'm working on. Jean Vanier said that living in the present moment was taught to him by people with acute disabilities. You had to, for there was no other moment for them. I remember he talked when I last saw him about a young man called Eric who had severe physical disabilities. For the first time that he managed to pee in the loo, it was such a triumph that the entire community drank champagne in his honor. <laughs> and Jean said that, that when you bathed Eric, you must let Eric dictate the time. He will, he will tell you how fast you can go. You cannot try and push ahead. And Jean said that once he was taking a community, a large community, out for a drive, and they hit something and all the window frosted over, and they were careering around the road, trying to avoid a wall on one side and a car on another, imminent disaster. And the chap beside him said, oh, what a beautiful frosted window. <laughs> so that's the discipline. It means listening to what people say to you, not for what you think they are about to say to you or just waiting until they stop talking so you can speak. When I was a, a young university chaplain many, many years ago, I remember a beautiful young student came to see me to talk about her very exotic sex life. I was so terrified, wondering what I could possibly say when she finished talking, uh, that I stopped listening to her. So, of course, when she did stop, I had absolutely nothing to say. It's, that, it's a sign of hope that you listen to what people say without even wondering what it is you will say, because that will be given to you in the hour. You must open your eyes to see what's there. There's an African proverb, the stranger has big eyes, but he does not see anything. I visited La Tourette in November for a retreat with some friends, and we were taken around this wonderful priory designed by Le Corbusier. Uh, and one of the group took out a camera, and he said, don't take any photographs. Look. If you photograph, you're trying to imagine what you will see. Come back later and photograph, but now just see. Open your eyes. Now the experience of living each moment, hopefully, is richer than I've suggested, since not all moments are the same. 
Our modern time, scientific time, has been called homogenous. 24 hours, each exactly the same amount of time. And I've nothing against homogenous time, because if we didn't have it, it would be impossible to go anywhere, the trains would leave whenever, and you'd have all turned up for this lecture at different moments. But our ancestors had a much richer liturgical sense of time. They lived in the rhythm of Advent and Christmas, of Lent and Easter and Pentecost. And that most beautiful time, which is ordinary time, green time, fertile time. And every day was structured around seven moments of prayer, each with its own hope, each with its own beauty. A bishop on the Today program recently said that the church needed to go 24-7. What a nightmare. <laughs> I, can, oh, I went much too discreet to say who it was, but it was neither the present nor the future Archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> Surprisingly, was a, a friend of mine, a Methodist minister, who's written beautifully about the need to recover the monastic rhythm of time. Ian Stackhouse. He said, it seems to me that the battle for civilization will pivot on the outrageously simple challenge of living a day well, discovering the hope of each moment. So thank you for taking the time to listen to these episodes. Our prayer is that as you listen and reflect on these teachings, that you'll be encouraged to continue your journey, to maximise your potential, to have a good and a happy life. So sign in again next week for more teaching on how you can follow the Jesus way to experience your life is filled with meaning, purpose and joy. So God bless and stay safe.